You're listening to audio from Praxis Church Kelowna. Praxis is a new church plant that exists to follow Jesus and make him known. If you're interested in finding out more or joining us in person, go to praxischurch.ca. Our reading this morning comes from Genesis 24, verse 1 through 61. It says, Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that you will not take a wife from my son, from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell. But you will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife from my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will not then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under his thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this manner. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he, by the well of the water at the time of the evening, the time when the woman go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, Please let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, Drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master." Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcal, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden who no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water, and she drew from it all the camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had proposed his journey or not. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing ten gold shekels and said, Please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, who she bore to Nahor. She added, We have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. 
The man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord and said, Blessed be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsmen. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban. Laban ran out toward the man to the spring. As soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arm and heard the words of Rebecca, his sister, thus the man spoke to me. He went to the man, and behold, he, he was standing by the camels at the spring. He said, Come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the man came to the house unharnessed, the camels and gave straw and fodder to the camels and there was water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him then food was set before him to eat but he said i will not eat until i have said what i have to say he said speak on so he said i am abraham's servant the lord has greatly blessed my master and he has become great he has given him flock and herds silver and gold male servants and female servants camels and donkeys and sarah my master's wife bore a son to my master when she was old and to him he has given all that he has my master made me swear saying you shall not take a wife from my son from the daughters of the canaanites in whose land i dwell but you shall go to my father's house and to my clan and take a wife from my son i said to my master perhaps a woman will not follow me but he said to me the lord before whom i have walked will send his angel with you and prosper your way you shall take a wife from my son from the clan and from my father's house then you will be free from my oath when you Come to my clan, and if they will not give her to you, you will be free from my oath. I came to the spring and said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if now you are prospering the way that I go, behold, I am standing by the spring of water. Let the virgin who comes out to draw water, to whom I shall say, Please give me a little water from your jar to drink, and who will say to me, Drink, and I will also draw for your camels." Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Before I had finished speaking in my heart, behold, Rebekah came out with her water jar on her shoulder, and she went down to the spring and drew water. I said to her, Please let me drink. She quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, Drink, and I will give your camels drink also. So I drank, and she gave the camels drink also. Then I asked her, Whose daughter are you? She said, The daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her arms. Then I bowed my head and worshipped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. Now then, if you are going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me, and if not, tell me, that I may return to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before, her, before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord. And the servant brought out jewels of silver and of gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave 
to her brother and to her mother costly ornaments. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank, and they spent the night there. When they arose in the morning, he said, send me away to my master. Her brother and her mother said, let the young woman remain with us a while, at least 10 days. After that, she may go. But he said to them, do not delay me since the Lord has promised has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. They said, let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? She said, I will go. So they sent away Rebecca, their sister and his nurse and her nurse and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebecca and said to her, our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. Then Rebekah and her young women arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went on his way. Now Isaac had returned from Bir Lahairoi and was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field towards evening. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. This is the word of the Lord. <laughs> You may be seated. <laughs> that was a marathon read. Michelle, thank you. Some people, when they get tired, they just stop. Some people just go and double down. I learned something about you today. Hey, good morning, Praxis. Uh, for those of you that do not know me, and it's probably a lot of you, my name is Cliff. I'm a pastor at Westside Church in downtown Vancouver. I've been part of the leadership team here at Praxis uh, kind of, I think, since day one. And it's been very cool for me over the years to come and spend time with you, talk to you, to see what God is doing in and among and through you. And it is an absolute joy an absolute pleasure for me to be with you today, to pray, to worship, uh, to study the text of scriptures. So thank you for having me. Very excited to be here. Uh, in this marathon text, like 67 verses, well, we're supposed to only read 61, and Michelle went a little further than that, God bless her. Uh, but this is like a massively long text, but I just want you to, to stay with me. There's only one thing being discussed in this narrative, Abraham is sending his servant out to find a wife for his son, Isaac. That's the only thing that's really being talked about in this narrative, that Isaac is find, getting a wife. His dad is sent out a servant to, to do that. But in this text, there are so many different things that I think that the Lord might talk to you about. I don't know where you're at. There's, you know, there's gray hairs, there's caps, there's long hairs, there's no hairs. Like, this is a broad group of people. We're all in different stations of life and in different areas in our faith journey. And I just want you to be open because I don't know how God the Holy Spirit is going to speak to you through the text. For some of you, it might be how you parent. For some of you, it might be your discipleship and your rhythms uh, in your walk with Jesus. I don't know. So if you could just be open to just whatever the Lord has for you, I think it'll be really, really good. 
Let's, uh, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this fantastic narrative, this text. There's so much for us to learn, to hear from you, to discover. So Holy Spirit, would you just speak through this text to us? That we'd be able to just silence any of the distractions that might uh, cause us to not hear what you're saying, but that we'd be open. Uh, that we'd actually not only be open, but we'd be desirous. We'd be hungry. We'd be needy to hear from you in this moment. So, God, speak to us through this text, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so before we get into this text, Genesis chapter 24, let me give you a bit of an overview. Otherwise, this text might just seem a little isolated. I'm going to give you a two-minute Cliff's Notes version, pun intended, of the first 23 chapters of the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we see the heart of God. We learn about the heart of God, and we see the heart of God for us, his creation. In Genesis chapter 3 is the most catastrophic chapter in all of Scripture. It's where sin entered in. And Adam and Eve, they didn't just sin. Like a lot of us, we define sin as a mistake, like a moral failure. We even use that word to describe sin. And it's much more egregious than a mistake. It's so much worse than an oops. That when Adam and Eve sinned, not only did they sin, but sin, it, sin entered into humanity as a result. And the rest of humankind has been plagued, born into this sin condition. We're separated from God. We're estranged most naturally from each other. And if that's not enough, there's another layer that the earth itself is cursed. Genesis 4, 5, and 6 Genesis just keeps going to talking about how the sin of humanity just kept increasing more and more. Genesis 6, 5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Listen to this. And that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Humanity did not feel bad for their sin. They doubled down on it in the following chapters. And as humanity was doubling down on their sin, what we see is God being gracious, God being patient, whether it's with Noah and the Ark and the Noahic Covenant, whatever. We just see God being gracious. Then phase two of, or act two of Genesis, we see God now switching from being patient to being active. And God is beginning to enact a plan for redemption. And in Genesis chapter 12, we meet Abram and Sarah, two people who were unable to have kids, but because of their age and all of that, there was no chance of them ever having kids. They couldn't have kids, and they were never going to have kids. And God makes this unbelievable promise to Abraham. In chapter 12, verse 2 and 3, God says, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. What a crazy promise given to Abram. To have 
a child, not only a child, but to have so many offsprings. In, in Genesis 15, God makes this covenant with Abram that your descendants will outnumber the stars of the sky and the sands of the seashore. And there's a tension in chapter 12. And the tension is in chapter 12 is what you and I struggle with. What is God supposed to do and what am I supposed to do? How, how, how do you do that? There's some people that go, well, God said it. I'm not going to do anything. And some of us are a little bit more, I'm going to help the Lord in this. And we, we start to just get involved. And what we see with what Abram has done is he got far too involved. But the text says that God said, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will bless those that bless you. And through you, all the families will be blessed. What was Abraham's or Abram's job? That was his name before he had the children. His job was to believe and to be obedient. That, that's really it. But what Abram did moving forward is you see that he not, he became the architect and the initiator of the plan that God had for him. When God said, I will make your name great, Abram said, let me help you. And he started pursuing uh, children through adoption. Is that a possibility, you know? And he's trying to figure that one out. Ah, no. And then, hey, how about we actually have a child uh, through Hagar? I think, I think that's a good idea. It's amazing how we can lie to ourselves. It's amazing how we give ourselves permission to engage in sinful acts and hope that God will bless it. And, and if, what we saw with that debacle was it was sin and it was rebellion. Chapter 12 and, and moving forward, uh, Abram, there was this clinic on what not to do. That he could not find the tension of what do I allow God to do and what do I do? And friends, you and I are still in that exact same place now. Friends, you and I will sit there and go, I know. I'm going to engage in my own wisdom, in my own way of thinking, and really believe in my heart that, that God will bless it. And then when God doesn't bless it, because we have not been faithful, we have not been obedient, what happens to us, we get so upset, we get so confused, we don't know how to reconcile this, and we go into, we go into crisis mode. We blame God. God, it's your fault. It's your fault that you didn't bless my disobedience. We blame other people. It's, it's your fault. You let me down. And we don't know how to... There's this terrible gap of our disobedience and the expectation of God's blessing. And then there's Genesis chapter 24, our text. And what was a tension in Genesis chapter 12 and moving forward is what we see in, in today's text Abram learning. Abram has now become Abraham. And Abraham has learned his place, his involvement, and God's involvement. Today's text is a window, this is the summation, into how God's providence and our faithful obedience intersect. Yeah, some of you are writing, we have books for you. Uh, if you don't have workbooks for the sermon series, go, go get that. I'll, I'll still be in my intro. You can go get it. You'll be fine. Today's text is a window into God's providence and how our faithful obedience intersects. And some of you are going, I think I know what God's providence is, but let me just pull back to make sure we're all on the same page. If God's 
Sovereignty is defined as God has the right and the power to do all that he decides to do. Okay, if we're going to say God's sovereignty is defined as God has the right and the power to do all that he decides to do, God's providence is defined as God's active involvement in carrying out his plan. Do you see the difference? God has the right, the power to do all that he decides to do. God's providence is God's active involvement in the day-to-day minutia of life. What seems random to you and me is not. God is involved in all of these seemingly random details to bring about his sovereign plan, and that is called providence. This is why I said today's text shows us how God's providence, the involvement, like you could have read that whole thing and go, man, that was lucky. Whoa, what, a, what are the odds of that? 100%, that's what the odds were. 100%, there was no chance. There was nothing fluky about it. And so this is how this works. And let me give you a really quick example of God's sovereignty and God's providence. God's sovereignty, Isaiah chapter 53, verse 10, Isaiah writes to us, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Speaking of Jesus going to the cross. It was the will of the Lord, of God the Father, to crush Jesus. That's God's sovereign plan. To bring about redemption, To bring about healing, this is what the Lord had planned for us. And we know in the book of John that Jesus willingly laid down his life. So in John chapter 11, verse 28, we see that the Pharisees were planning to kill Jesus. In John chapter 18, we see that Jesus was betrayed by Judas. He was taken into Roman custody. He had a joke of a trial. And then he was crucified. It was God's sovereign plan that Jesus would be crushed. And God carried out that through the involvement of the Pharisees, of the Roman government, the heinous execution of Jesus by way of crucifixion. And we learned something very important in that. God uses means to carry out his sovereign will. And God is involved in these details. It was God who was at work through the Pharisees. It wasn't ultimately the Pharisees who did this to Jesus. God just used that as a vehicle to carry out his sovereign plan. Isaiah 46, 10, I love this. I will accomplish all my purpose. One of my most favorite doctrines in scripture is the doctrine of sovereignty and providence. It allows me to go, I have no clue what's going on but I serve a Lord who has a plan and he's involved in everything. What seems random is not. And this is where we now get to Genesis chapter 24. I already hope and pray that God the Holy Spirit is talking to some of you going, oh man, this is starting to hit. Good, praise God. Because there's something beautiful in this text. 
So in this text, what we see is uh, four movements. It starts with a vow. It then goes with first steps. Then the third movement is discernment. And then the fourth is commitment. That's just the movement of this really long narrative. A vow, first steps, discernment, and then commitment. So in Genesis 23, we see that Sarah has died, Abraham's wife. And Genesis chapter 24 opens up with Abraham was old and well advanced in his years. And I love already what happens. And, and verses 1 to 9, we see that Abraham engages in a covenant with his servant. Saying, servant, I need you to go. And, I, and there's instruction, the text tells us, to find a wife for my son. What's Abraham doing? He's carrying out the promise that God gave him in Genesis chapter 12. This is just, this is 2.0, right? I will make your name great, Genesis 12. I will make you into nations. Genesis 15 with the Abrahamic covenant. Uh, your descendants will outnumber the stars of the sky. He only had one offspring, Isaac. It's not done yet. Abraham had the discernment to go what the Lord had promised. I, right now, I'm only seeing in part. I'm just seeing a piece of it. Abraham knew he was not done yet in seeing the fulfillment of what God was going to do. And so Abraham, this is, I think it's kind of sweet, to be honest with you. What does Abraham do? He starts with a covenant. So Abraham desires to see God moving into the next generation. In verse 2, And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had the charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. Isaac is putting on a clinic in parenting right here. Number one, what's he doing? He's laying a stake going, we are going to do this the Lord's way. This was not convenient. What would have been convenient? To find a wife close by. Maybe within a five block radius. Sometimes God's providence is not convenient. And Abraham is recognizing, he goes, I am not going to compromise on what God promised in Genesis 12 and what he covenanted with me in Genesis 15. I'm not going to give up on that. And what Abraham is doing is he's continuing on and leading his family in the ways of the Lord. Now listen, how did verse 1 of our text start? Abraham was old and well advanced in years, a.k.a. Abraham was really, really old. Moms and dads, there is a debate. Actually, well, actually, everybody, I don't know if you know this, there's a debate with moms and dads of when do we stop actively leading our children? I'm 55 years old, and I've had this conversation with my friends. And there's, well, once they finish high school, and then they're on their own, I've, I've done my work, and I go into holiday mode. 
there's some that are, and I've had conversations with friends of mine. Well, as long as they're living under my roof, then once they move out of the house, that's it, done. We're going to move to the Okanagan and kick it. I don't know where you guys go, but that's where we in the city go. We come to you. And here what you see is Abraham is recognizing, though he's old, and he has an adult child, that he is still leading his child in the ways of the Lord. His wife is dead. He is now a widow. I guess a widower. He could have had reason to go, I'm in crisis, my life's a mess, you know, and, and, and kind of unravel, and he didn't. He made a stake. He did with the servant what God did with him. We're going to continue on, and we're going to do all I know. I'm going to make a covenant with you. Swear by me that you don't go to the Canaanites. Moms and dads, you don't stop leading and investing in your children. Can I encourage you with that? I, I don't care how old they are. I will say this. As your children age, how you lead them in the ways of the Lord will change. My son is 26, and he's married to a beautiful girl. And how I lead Levi in the ways of the Lord as 26 is very different than how I led him in the ways of the Lord when he was eight. But I didn't let my foot off the pedal one bit as my son got older and as my son is starting a family. Moms and dads, don't let up on leading your children in the ways of the Lord as you get older. Moms and dads, as you get older, what we're supposed to do with our children, we're supposed to do with the culture. Can I call the older people to stay involved in serving in the purposes of God? I'm seeing something scary in the last 10 years. That as, as people approach middle age, they, they take the approach with being missional with their living and how they approach their rearing of their children. I'm done. I've done my time. I'm good. I now get a pass. It's summer holidays. You never see that in scripture. And here Abraham is leading his family, setting a stake, following the patterns of God with a covenant and giving explicit instructions. This is not going to be convenient. This is not going to be easy. We're not going to find a wife for, for Isaac in close proximity. There's going to be some work. So why no intermarriage? Like, that seems almost prejudiced. But what's going on? Doesn't God love the Canaanites? This sounds like the God of the Old Testament who's just angry. I don't like the God of the Old Testament. I like the God of the New Testament. Jesus, love, love, love. And, and, and we somehow separate the two. That's not accurate. What's God doing here? And, and we see it in the text, and we see it in other passages in Scripture, that the Canaanites worship many foreign deities. And their religion and their culture were known to be immoral and wicked. And Abraham knew full well that if Isaac married a Canaanite woman, the covenant that the Lord gave me in Genesis 15, the promise that he gave me in Genesis 12 would not happen. And so he had that awkward moment where he's going, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. 
And he had that hard conversation. I don't know, we, the text doesn't tell us if Isaac was like, come on, dad, like, come on. I'll just get an app and I'll just find, find me a wife, you know, and just within that close radius. He said, no. And he knew why. And he had that hard conversation. And here we see God's providence and Abraham's faithfulness intersecting in an everyday way. Here, like, I, I know you could sit there and go, this is just a small thing. And it's not. This is what Abraham was doing here is a big thing. But you and I can miss the importance of God's providential moments because they seem so small and they seem so random. They seem insignificant. And they're not. Friends, you and I are called to being obedient and faithful in the little day-to-day things because they lead to the big things. In Luke chapter 16, verse 10, in Matthew 25, 23, talks about one who is faithful with the little will be faithful with much. And you and I have to recognize that these little things are not insignificant things. These little things establish a pattern. And a pattern brings momentum. And you and I are being called to be faithful to God in our day-to-day actions and knowing full well that God is using these providential moments to bring about his sovereign will. Okay, I'm 23 minutes in and I just finished point one of four. I gotta hurry up here, so buckle up. So there is, that is the vow. Then the, the next movement of the text is the first steps, verses 10 through to 15. And so what's happening here is the servant is now going out actively, taking the first steps for, uh, to find Isaac a wife. And you kind of get the sense that he walks out of the tent flap and goes, do I go right? Do I go left? Okay, well, I kind of know I got to go uh, into Abraham's Kinsman, okay, so I kind of roughly know where I'm going. But friends, he doesn't really know where he's going. He, he, he wasn't sure. In verse 12, and he said, the servant said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. He had no clue what was in store for him in the day. None. And how many of us have a hard time trusting in the nature of God? What you and I like to do is, I'll be obedient, Lord. I just need to know the five steps to the destination. Then I'll be obedient. But typically throughout Scripture, we see that how does God work? He only gives you the information for the next step. That's it. Not how to get, not, not all the steps to the end of the destination. Why? So you and I stay dependent on the Lord. Like, I love his posture here. He brought God into the unknownness of this moment. I don't know where this is going to go. Just grant me success. I know what I need to do. Find a wife. I got a region, but that's all I got. All he was being called to do was to be faithful with what he knew in the moment. Friends, part of us being obedient and faithful 
in God's providence is, is to be comfortable with going, I don't know. Great. But what do you know? Go with that. Once you take the step, God will give you the next one. In Judges chapter 6, we, we meet Gideon. Gideon, who's from the weakest tribe, and he was the weakest in his family, was called by God to fight the Midianites. And what does God say in Judges chapter 6, verse 14? Go in the strength that you have. Like, the, the assumption there is, and we both know you don't have enough. You're from the weakest tribe of the nation of Israel. You're the weakest of your family. You are not qualified. You don't have the military might to do this, but just go in the strength that you have. This is exactly, back in our text, what God was calling the servant to do, and he was putting a clinic on going, okay, there's two opposite juxtaposing positions that are true in this moment from verse 12. I don't exactly know, but God does. Two juxtaposing, two opposing, two ideas in tension are true. You and I, we have to be comfortable with that, and we, we have a hard time with that. It's either one or the other. It's this or it's that. But when it comes to the ways of the Lord, there is this tension that you and I are called to. I don't exactly know what's happening right now. But I know God does, so I can move forward. I don't need to know. I know that he knows and to move forward. The sooner we acknowledge that we do not bring anything to the table that will in the natural tip the scales in our direction, the sooner we can trust God's providence and come to depend on it and to trust it and to even rest in it. The sooner you and I recognize that we don't bring anything to the table that will in the natural tip the scales in our direction, then the sooner we can trust in God's providence and come to depend on it and to trust it and to even rest in it. This is what this text is teaching us, God's providence and our faithful obedience and how they intersect. And I realize there's a risk. Yeah, there, there is. I realize that there is this vulnerability that God is calling Abraham, that God's calling the servant, and God's calling you and me, that we might look kind of silly. I'm pretty sure when Gideon said, let's go to the Midianites, they're like, are you a fool? None of this makes sense in the natural. When God is calling you to be faithfully obedient in these random moments in your life, please don't sit there and go, but I'm going to look the fool. Rather, if you can posture yourself, bring God in the equation and go, there's an opportunity for God to be seen as great. You and I have an opportunity to be used by God in those moments. Feeling weak, feeling vulnerable, that's okay. And I know we're told to not feel that. There, there's a vulnerability in this entire text. He goes, I don't know. Lord, just bless me. Grant me success. 
Now the third movement, discernment, verses 16 through to 58. And it's interesting that out of this entire narrative of 67 verses, though we only read, I think, 61, 42 verses are given to discernment. There's discernment in team Abraham and team Rebecca. And we see roughly 42 verses. I think that that is interesting. Even in God's providential care, involved in all of these details, you and I are constantly called to check yourself before you wreck yourself. I got one person who watched that show. I wasn't trying to be cool. I was just... But honestly, there is a fantastic lesson here as we are faithfully obedient to God's providence. The full expectation of God is to seek discernment. And how many of us have a process for discernment? The world tells us that the discernment is this. If it feels good, do it. That is the only discernment filter needed. And sadly, and it breaks my heart, what I'm seeing with Jesus' people is we have a similar filter. If it feels good, do it. And we have Jesus' people so confused with the condition of their life, the quality of their life. And some of you, if that's you right now, and you're like, I don't know how I got here, it's possible that here's the text is nudging you. You may have missed the discernment process. And that's not something to blame God. That's something for us to look in the mirror and go, oh, that's something I need to work on. So here is Team Abraham. So um, the servant starts in verse 14 with this test, if you will, of God. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink. And who shall say drink and I will water your camels. So he's now saying to God, I'm going to say this. And if she says that, ah, I'll know. I'll know. And let her be the one that you've appointed to your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. It's 24, verse 14. So he has this encounter with Rebecca. And it, that, that little test, it, it worked out. Can I just stop for a moment? And I need to, to just say this. The reason, like, um, how do I say this in a way that is loving? Stop giving these kinds of silly tests to God. That was as loving as I could come up with. These people did not have written scripture at this moment. So they didn't have scripture to fall back on to learn about how God works, what is sin clearly defined or whatnot. Scripture was not written. It wasn't written for another 420 years or so. So God is being gracious and going, okay, I'm going to say this, and if she says this, then we'll know. As Jesus' people, in this moment, we can have a whole lot more confidence. We'll get to that in a minute. But I just don't want us to follow that as the authoritative way for God to reveal his will in our lives. In verse 21, the man, the servant, gazed at her in silence to learn. 
or to know whether the Lord had promised a prosper his journey or not. That's huge. So he was randomly going, right? Okay, I don't know exactly where I'm going. I just kind of know I, the region. I, I know I, it's, it's Abraham's kin. I don't know why he picked that well. And as the daughters of men, so of all, as all the ladies started to go and get their water, I don't know what made him pick that one out. And then, wait, it, it exactly happened the way the Lord had said. You would think that he would be going, check, check to check, done. I got my confirmation. No, clearly not. The man gazed at her in silence to learn. It's just, Lord, what are you saying in this moment? It seems that you're in this. It seems like I've got con uh, confirmation. But just in silence, to learn or to know whether the Lord had promised, prospered his journey or not. Again, do you see how free he is of his personal agenda? It seems right to me, but I'm not sure. How many times do you and I have a fixed mindset when we come to approach the ways of the Lord going, God, I'm open, but you, and I really know it needs to go this way. Here this guy is willing to go, this all seems right, but Lord, you, can you speak? Discernment doesn't just come in that one way. Discernment is going to come sometimes in layers and multiple times. And discernment isn't a lone voice, but it's a choir. A good idea doesn't mean it's a God idea. And I love that the servant just sat there and said, the easiest thing would be to say, she's the one. But again, it's not about ease. It's not about proximity. It's about obedience. And after the servant had saw this and seen this, this seemed to go well. Again, it, it wasn't even... God didn't, doesn't always work in our time frame. God doesn't always work in the predictable and the preferred ways that we, we want. Because I think at the end, we're afraid that God's actually going to come through. Well, I don't know how this is going to go, but this is the discernment process for Team Abraham. And then there's Team Rebecca, and we learn about uh, Rebecca's brother Laban, and we learn about Bethuel, her, uh, her dad. And again, I love this servant because he goes, and how many times do you and I kind of go guarded? Hey, wise as a serpent, but harmless as a dove. And we're a little guarded when we start. This guy just, just lays it all out. Holds nothing back to Laban and Bethuel going, this is what I'm thinking. This is, this is who my master is. This was the test that I made. And, and Rebecca said this. I think she's the one. Then team Rebecca, verse 50, the, the thing that the servant just talked about has come from the Lord. And you're seeing that discernment is coming through multiple voices for the servant, not just one. It's interesting that with providence, we can have a reasonable expectation of unity. And just so we're clear, 
Nowadays, where we're at in human history, we have the library of scripture to help us land on what's right, what's wrong, what's sin, what's not, what's God's will, what's not. And then for Team Rebecca, Laban and Bethuel said, let's ask Rebecca what she thinks. In verse 57, they, the brother and, and Rebecca's mom, said, let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? Come on, moms and dads, how many of you know that that is a brutal question to ask your kid? We want, our, we want the relationship with our kids what we want, and we want them to be close, you know, and we go, hey, I'm just like, you know, mama bear or papa bear, and, you know, we're just, we think this is good parenting. And here, this loaded question, what do you think about moving away to a whole nother, with, with some apparent rando? What say you? Man, she's gutsy. She says, I will go. Man, she's gutsy. Like, sorry, as a dad, that would kill me. But do you see the unity that is coming for those that are in step with the Lord? Like, as a parent, they go, oh, that, oh I don't want that. that that's, that's hard. That's, that's difficult. That's tough. But it's right. Both can be true. It's unconventional. That's not the proper timeline. Let her stay for another 10 days. No, let, her go, let us go tomorrow. That's, that's not the timeline I wanted, but it's right. And then the commitment, verse 59 to 67. Then Rebecca and her young women arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebecca. And he went his way. Bye, honey. Love you. Like, it's not like we can just jump on an airplane. Like, this was, bye, honey. Not sure if I'm going to see you again. That'd be so difficult. But there's a unity for those that are in step with the Lord. Friends, we have to count on that. We have to bank on that. The timing's not right. It seems unconventional. This seems really random. That's not how providence works. And I want us to just, I just want to pause and have a pastoral moment with you. There are those in the watching world that will look at texts like this and go, that's just stupid. That's blind faith. And I, I want to be really clear. Like blind faith is a wholehearted belief and commitment in something for no intelligent reason. That's my definition of blind faith. The Lord is never calling you and I to blind faith. If we actually have such a weak position on Scripture, we just don't know the ways of God, there might be that feeling of blind faith. It's a wholehearted belief and commitment in something for no intelligent reason. Reason, but for Jesus' people, blind faith does not exist. That's not a thing. 
God never, never asks anyone to take a step of blind faith. But rather, we're called to take a step of faith. And that step of faith is always a step of confirmed faith. Here's what I mean. How can they, in, in verse, uh, chapter 24, or how can we know the voice of God? I want you to know, listen to me, Jesus' people. God speaks to us. I don't know how many of you believe that. I don't know how many of you actually rely on that and expect that bank on it. But God speaks to you. Number one, he speaks to you through the library of Scripture. That'll be, that is God's, listen to this, this is, that is God's preferred method to speak to us. Some of you go, I just need a word from the Lord. Great, open up your Bible. Stop calling 1-800-RIDICULOUS-PROPHET. I so appreciate the hunger for the Lord, but God's preferred way is through the text of Scripture. And then as we read the Scriptures, what we're going to see is that God, the Holy Spirit, will speak to us. Have you ever read a passage and read it time and time again and go, dang, there's something in here I've never seen before? Uh-huh. That was God, the Holy Spirit, shining a flashlight for you. Like the, the fact that we can read the text over and over again, it's never the same. Why? Because the scripture is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. So we can hear and know the voice of God through the text of scripture. We can know and hear the voice of God through God the Holy Spirit. We can know the voice of God through wise counsel. All of these things were at play in Genesis chapter 24. Abraham was not taking a step of blind faith. The servant was not taking a step of blind faith. Rebecca's family and Rebecca was not taking a step of blind faith. It wasn't a wholehearted belief into something for no intelligent reason. It was confirmed. How? By God himself. Friends, I want you to know that God, the holy God of the universe, is speaking. He never stopped speaking, and he's still speaking to us today. Those are the three primary ways. But the tension for us is when God is speaking in a way we don't really like. Yeah, I've, I've read scripture, and I've talked, but no one's doing it my way. Maybe the Lord's speaking to you. And you have the opportunity to capitulate to the voice of the Lord through Scripture, first, through the work of the Spirit, and through wise counsel. What if instead God's not punishing you from giving you the desires of your heart in that moment, but actually God's preserving you and God's protecting you? God can be trusted to perform his will and his promises I just want to leave you with this. I'm going to ask the band to make their way up. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. It is God who wills and acts in you. Friends, it is God who wills and acts in you, both to will and to work for his good purpose. I love this. I had this before. Cole led us in this. 2 Corinthians 1.20. For the promises of God find their yes in him, in Christ. 
That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. That is why we utter our so be it, our agreement, our alignment. It's for Christ's glory. If I can just get you to just bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. We're about to move into a time of communion. Just want you to maybe just take a moment and ask yourself, how is the Lord speaking to you in this moment? It might be by way of encouragement, confirmation, maybe a rebuke. I don't know. But I just want you to take this moment and to, with clarity, go, this is what the Lord is saying to me in this moment. I don't, I don't want you to walk away going, yeah, God was speaking. Well, what was it? I forget. I want you to mark this moment. And then the second thing is what's your response? How are you going to respond to the leading of the Lord? What's God calling you to do as a result of discovering that God's providence and our faithfulness, they intersect. Maybe for some of us, we need to actually start repenting because of our disobedience.